You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful. Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Recite in the name of your Lord who created. Created man from a clinging substance. Recite, and your Lord is the most generous. Who taught by the pen. Taught man that which he knew not. No, but indeed, man transgresses. Because he sees himself self-sufficient. Indeed, to your Lord is the return. Have you seen the one who forbids a servant when he prays? Have you seen if he is upon guidance or enjoins righteousness? Have you seen if he denies and turns away? Does he not know that Allah sees? No, if he does not desist, we will surely drag him by the forelock. A lying, sinning forelock. Then let him call his associates. We will call the angels of hell. No, do not obey him, but prostrate and draw near to Allah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM. And I'm your host, Zubair Akram, with my guest, Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. Um, third of Ramadan today. And today is, inshallah, going to be our first live session uh, with our guest, Sheikh Rizwan, with the surah that we have chosen, uh, inshallah, uh, which we'll be covering throughout this uh, month of Ramadan. Iftar today uh, in Glasgow is at 6.43. Um, 6.47, 25th of March, 3rd of Ramadan, 2023, Iftar today is 6.47, inshallah. Um, we, as always, alhamdulillah, are privileged to have uh, this uh, session with Sheikh Rizwan, um, covering Surah Alaq, inshallah, Iqra Bismi Rabbi Kalladi Khalaq, or Sameen Jo Abhi, Radio Ramzan ki nashriyat mein hume join kiya hai. Mera naam Zubair Akram hai. 
program reflections radio ramadan 87.7 aur aaj iftar ka waqt glasgow mein 47 minute 25 march 3 ramzan mubarak 2023 aur ye jo ayat aapke samne rakhi gayi ke padho ae nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam apne rab ke naam ke sath jisne paida kiya iqra bismi rabbikal ladhi khalaq پڑھو اے نبی اپنے رب کے نام کے ساتھ جس نے پیدا کیا جمے ہوئے خون کے ایک لوتھڑے سے انسان کی تخلیق کی پڑھو اور تمہارا رب بڑا کریم ہے جس نے قلم کے ذریعے سے علم سکھایا انسان کو وہ علم دیا جسے وہ نہ جانتا تھا صدق اللہ العظیم آج انشاءاللہ اگلے پینتالیس سے پچاس منٹ میں ہم ان آیات کا احاطہ کریں گے اور شیخ سے اس کی کامنٹری لیں گے السلام علیکم شیخ وعلیکم السلام ورحمت اللہ وبرکاتہ اہلا وسہلا مرحبا بکم شامل اہلا وسہلا ہاں شیخ تو یہ اہلا وسہلا یو نو وی وی ڈسکس دس لاسٹ ایئر وین یو سی اہلا وسہلا ڈیڈ وی اوکے دس از ان ایکس یا 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 آئی ریمبر دیٹ وین یو سیڈ آئی سی دیٹ ایز ایز ا کورٹیسی ٹو یو ٹو اہلا وسہلا Yes, and it is uh, for, the, for the listeners as well, when you say uh, Ahlan to someone, it, it is an extreme form of uh, courtesy, I would say, that you're including yes, one of course, of course. in your Ahl. Yeah, so I mean, you, you learn this, is probably, the, I think people have learned Arabic, it's probably the first phrase they learn, and uh, the teacher probably try and explain something of the meaning of it, what Ahlan was Ahlan um, entails, but it basically means you're my family. You know, you have become um, established as part of my family and you should make yourself at ease. So, I mean, this is just a, a courtesy, common courtesy, which is which is said in English. You have things like you had in the past Godspeed, which basically may you may you travel with ease. And it's not used now. I think if you watch movies, you might find that phrase in, 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 in movies now because they try and use old archaic terms, Godspeed. But there's lots of terms that you know go back to um human courtesy which is i think um something that is is missing generally because when people say it do they really mean it because yesterday actually i was walking well i think it was the day before ramadan it must have been day before ramadan i was walking past a shop uh, and it was a it was a um a person that that fits radiators and things and he's he's helped me a couple of times in the past doing some work And I went past and I and I looked at him and, I, and he kind of, he hadn't seen me for about a year, so we shook hands and he was shocked and he said, well, shall I order you some food? So it's like a common courtesy. Like, and, and just, I know he didn't mean it when I was walking away and I said, no, no, I'm okay, I'm busy. But it's, did he mean it? He might have meant it, but it was like a common courtesy that people have, um, the mm. humans have generally, which is that they want to show that there's no, um, there's no fear, there's no trepidation, there's no, ulterior motive that you can consider me your friend. So it's just generally, Ahlan wa Sahlan, I just say it, throw it out, and then you're the only person that actually notices that it means anything specific. But it's like the same thing, Assalamu Alaikum is the same, is, is it's quite a deep thing. I mean, if you think about it, Assalamu Alaikum, that, it, it, that peace is upon you. And, and I remember when the Prophet started to um, instill this in his companions, the fact that you say this when you meet people, Um, it, in a society where 
anyone can be your enemy. Anybody, anybody could be the person that's your adversary. Anybody could be the person that is going to undermine you or threaten your existence. In the past, it was very obvious that war and, and conflict was part and parcel of day-to-day, -day, I mean, day-to-day -day society, day-to-day mm -hmm. -day life. Mm -hmm. So if the Prophet was some to come with a revelation and with a, with a kind of prophetic impulse to say, you, you, you greet people with the greeting of salam, to the point that you know that you should vie with each other to be the first person to give the salam as well. So even it's mm. like um, you know, imagine you meet somebody that you've had a bad you run in with in the past, and then you meet them. You can either be silent and be what we call begheret, just like have no ghaira <laughs> at all, just be completely um, mm. bereft of your humanity, or you can do something which is you can either shout at them. Imagine it's a very bad situation, or you can do what the Prophet said, which is to have take the blessing of the first person that does salam. So it's just an etiquette manner that we have passed from generation to generation. You know, that's why we instill in our kids mm -hmm. one of the first things we tell them, oh, you have to say salam alaikum to guests, and I mean, the, they don't understand what that means. Hmm. This takes you know, me to yeah. actually, the, which is that Islamic civilization. All these small, subtle things, they form part of one civilization. How you greet, how you meet, what you say and you mean mm -hmm. and you say and you don't mean, but you still say. And mm -hmm. they, they are kind of ingrained in your everyday conversation, offering food, offering them to be part of your family, uh, this endearing comment. So when we when we were talking about what we will cover this this month, Islamic civilization and the power of revelation, and I've been thinking, I would ask you, how do we actually define civilization? Mm. And you've started with this, and I realized probably this is civilization. This is mm. part of civilization. Yeah, I mean, it's true, but you start with a backstory to this, which is you didn't want me to do this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell. No. Yeah. Well, did you have a conversation? Was it yesterday or the day before you were they, sending they, me other suggestions? Hmm. But, you know, this is one thing. This is what you do every year, by the way, just to let everyone know that every time we a couple of days before Ramadan, we, we have a discussion what to, to do. And I suggest a chapter and then I can tell you're not happy. <laughs> I can tell because you're. You're offering other suggestions, so you sent me a couple of suggestions. I, I, I kind of said, no, no, let's do this. So then I sent you. Mm. I was after Taraweeh. I think it was yesterday. I sent you the kind of what I thought in Taraweeh. What came to my mind was this. This is a chat. This is a this is a subtitle of it. That um, you know, revelation generally it, it, it inspires Islamic civilization. It seems to be an obvious thing to say that. As a Muslim community, a Muslim nation, a Muslim ummah, that the thing that defines us as a, as a ummah is our um, connection to revelation. It seems a pretty obvious thing to say, but mm -hmm. in this day and age, the more I'm reflecting over, you know, where we're where we're going, just generally in Ramadan, usually it's, it's a good time for reflection. The kind of difficulties and, and the kind of obstacles in the way of Muslims, you know, fulfilling their own identity and and being able to assert their own identity in, in public or in you know even in, in family situations because I'm living in Turkey at the moment and there's a big dispute about the role of Islam in 
in society again, which has reared its head because of the elections that are coming up in about two months. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very interesting to see that what role does the revelation play in anything? Because, you know, the earthquake took place in Turkey, you know, over 13 million people affected, so, which, I mean, think about it, and, and a landmass which covers from the area from Newcastle all the way to um, Southampton, the majority of England basically covered in, in, in some kind of um, fallout from the earthquake. Yeah, destruction. And there was a whole um, argument in society, generally in Turkish society, about the role of saying that this is part of the Qada and Qadar. This is, you know, this is, this is taqdeer. This is something that was bound to happen. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the secularists were saying, well, this is an excuse. And this is actually um, a, a smokescreen to hide behind, to to make excuses for people. We're in a fact. In fact, all it was all all that you know what was being said is that these are things that happen in life, and the the faith that we have, you know, sourced in revelation, on the fact that this is something that is decreed as a test or as or as a as a means of bettering society or a means of le learning lessons or whatever the wisdom is we, we usually don't know until well afterwards that this understanding helps you come to terms with it so it helps you to come to terms with the death of a loved one um the destruction of whole cities it gets gives you a sense of perspective because if you don't have this idea of qadr think about it if your person doesn't believe in qadr and qada and you don't believe that there's an ultimate wisdom to everything then all you're saying is that two in this situation three tectonic plates shifted in in a way that's probably unprecedented in 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 the way that we mapped out earthquakes in, in in human history and what that led to was massive destruction you have um you know no no real way of coming to terms with it no real way of coming to a sense a sense of closure Apart from, you know, just talking about, you know, inadequacies in, in urban planning and so on and so forth. So it becomes a kind of um, a non-discussion. A non but a revelation and the insights that we get from revelation, like, assalamu alaikum, that's a part of our, you know, you were saying, is it part of revelation? It is. It's part of, our, it's part of what was the Prophet was given and inspired to do, which was to tell people that when you meet, meet somebody else, you start, you know, you start with the salam, you start... You 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 open you you say that there's no fear from upon you from me. You know that in mm -hmm. terms of our relationship from this moment forward, I'm the person that's starting it, and the other person can react by rejecting or accepting it. And if they accept it, then that's you've managed to overcome what is usually a, a massive um, you know you know point of of animosity between individuals specifically. And you take that to families, and you expand 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 that to um, nations, it's the same thing. You know the whole. You know when you talk about um, in the in the in the eighties, you know perestroika, perestroika, glasnost between Russia and America and, and America. It was all on the basis of human friendship, like human warmth between the American president and the and the and the and the, and the Soviet um, prime minister. That sense of um, human in interaction. Allowed them to then then dismantle in some way. I mean, for them, some in some way, the kind of very aggressive rhetoric that was between the two nations. Now that's how this Islamic civilization, I think, in, in, in kind of informs us in a, in a day to day way. And the thing is, if you don't have, if you take a revelation out of society generally, you get a very interesting 
environment. You get very interesting. And this is what's happening today. The reason why I think this chapter, when I was thinking about it more, actually, after we had the kind of, you know, kind of back and forth about whether we should do it, is that it is probably the most pivotal thing that is affecting the way that certain societies are going to progress is actually the role of revelation and religion in public life and the degree to which that impinges and affects the way that people in public should behave. And I think that is the big, if you look at in a civilizational worldview, if you look at the globe, then you'll see that there's a whole community of people who are Muslims who believe in revelation. And then there's a whole group of people that say, well, new liberal mm. democracy is probably the way that we want to structure society. And then the clash, which is what Hunt Huntington famously alluded to in, the, in the, the late 90s, that clash is, I wouldn't say inevitable, but it's stark. It's very, very straight. It's not, if it's not conflict, it's at least a contrast in, in the way that you view progress. I understand there is civilization, and what we're saying is the revelation informs Islamic civilization. Revelation is, is of our civilization or any civilization. But how does Surah Alak die? This is like Surah, first ayah that was revealed. And what relevance has it got? Okay, recite in the name of your Lord who created, proclaim or read in the name of the Lord. So, created a man from a clot of blood. Now, this to do with civilization, I've been thinking, you know, how did you come up with the Islamic civilization has any connection with Surah Alaq? Um, how did I how did I come up with the conclusion? I think it's I mean I think I think from this perspective, Ramadan is the month in which, you know, Unzila fi Quran is the month in which the, the Quran was revealed. It was it was given to human beings, in terms of it was the it was a kind of imminent revelation. Before that, we know that the Quran, as as the speech of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, as befits His Majesty, um, was imprinted upon the Lawh al Mahfuz, and that is. Um, you know, the first step in the reaching of the Qur'an to us, then it's given to the, the lowest heavens, the Bayt al-Ma'mur, al and then it descends, you know, over a period of 20, just you know, roughly 23 years upon the heart of the Prophet Ali, salatu wasalam. Now, if that is going to be the final revelation, it's going to be something that is the end of a long stream of of communications from God to humanity through different channels through different continents to different people you know some we know of some we don't know of and um, revelations we don't know the names of and revelations we don't know the names of but all of that is to tell us that you know in terms of you know understanding um, society and understanding where we are and understanding how to organize society there is something more than the, the mind there's something more than the, the rational mind there's something more than what the rational mind gets to, which is through science and, and, and intellectual endeavor. There's something beyond that which tells us bigger truths than the types of truths that we mm -hmm. arrive at just on the base of rationality. So on the base of um, you know, t thinking about whether it's good to do something or not. And I was you know, putting my son to sleep a couple of days ago and he, 
he's he's been going to school. I think it's the second, the first year, second. I can't remember actually. I'm such a negligent um, individual. He, he he came and he had it. He told me about a scenario. We always do this before he goes to sleep. A scenario, moral scenario, which is that one of the the kids in the school did something, and one of the other kids took the blame for it. And we were discussing whether it's right to do that or not. And what was interesting is that he was he was of the opinion that it is good to take the blame for something you haven't done if it leads to a, a greater good. So that's the mind. The mind's trying to work. His young age, seven-year-old kid trying to understand how to make sense of a moral predicament. You know, the, the child that broke something, should they take the blame or should somebody else take the blame so that they're... Mm. And so I said to him, what about the issue of responsibility? If all through that child's life, that child that broke something, some he, the, the, that child expects somebody else to, to jump in and to take the blame for something, then it will affect that person, that child's growth, their personality, it will affect their life prospects, it will affect their happiness. And so... You know, with, with Revelation, you have this common, you know, basic tenant, which is that there's nothing, that a person gets nothing apart from what they themselves strive for. In other words, you get the just desserts of your own actions. Now, that's from Revelation, and that's also mentioned to be one of the first revelations that was core to all prophetic revelations, which was given to the Prophet Musa and the Prophet um, um, Ibrahim Ali salatu wasalam. And so what's interesting about Iqra is as a, as a chapter, it is it's it's the start of that final push towards saying that there's more to the way that you order civilization, society than what you as a society internally, logically, morally can break, come up with. So if you look at all other other societies that didn't have religious impulse at the core of their their thinking, they had a specific way that they developed, they progressed, and they um, manifest themselves. And, and the current civilization we have, which is the dominant civilization, is one of those examples where there's numerous crises um, that are economic, that are environmental, that are moral, that are um, existential to the point of just existing. I think that will become very clear to people in the next generation just being able to repopulate the I mean, even though we're saying that the world population is going up the whole idea of having children and if you look at china it, it will go into population decline and it's going into population decline now which is un, unbelievable but it's happening all of this is i think related to the fact that we are not bringing in revelation and the core points of revelation the big topics the big um, guide guidelines of revelation into our public discourse and so obviously the fact that Iqra is the first chapter revealed to the Prophet and it's the first revelation, I think it's almost like setting the, the, the ground rules and the groundwork for what um, Muslims should prioritize in life. I think that's what's pretty clear for me, that if there is anything in this chapter, it will be setting the agenda for everything else. And that's what I think you know, is probably very, very important for me. Uh, 3rd of Ramadan, uh, it's 6.47 uh, iftar in Glasgow today. Uh, this is really Ramadan at 87.7. Um, we are um, having this third session or first session of uh, first session which is one today, uh, live session. 
Surah Alak is the surah that we uh, we will be discussing, inshallah, throughout this month, five days a week. Uh, this is um, Wednesday all the way to Thursday, uh, sorry, Sunday. Um, this surah, Iqra, Warabbuka Lakram, uh, Iqra, Bismi Rabbika Ladi Khalaq Khalaq Al-Insana Min Alaq Iqra, Warabbuka Lakram. Welcome back to Reflections. Uh, I'm your host, Zubair Akram, with my guest, Sheikh Razan Muhammad. Uh, surah Alak, Sheikh. Uh, this is uh, a short surah in 30th juz. Uh, the first few ayahs, uh, the first five ayahs, inshallah, will be uh, will we'll cover in the next 25 minutes in this segment. Oh, really? And this is the first wahi. Yeah, in 25 <laughs> minutes. Well, we, we'll try. We'll start. We'll begin with it, inshallah. <laughs> you, got a, you, you, you don't know me. So you've never, you've never, you've never met me, I think. <laughs> so I'm I'm trying to work out the, the, what I want to talk about. If you don't have noticed, because um, hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm so last night in Tarawih, what I was doing was um, you know we were finishing Surat Al-Baqarah, we we're going to Al Imran, and then hmm. you know you what's interesting in Ramadan you get a, you hear from somebody else what you usually recite. I usually recite outside and by myself, and so I hear my, myself reading it. I can't reflect on it, but what's hap- what happens in Ramadan is that you, because you hear it from somebody else, and Alhamdulillah, our, the reciter is mm. you know very accomplished, and and has mm. all the intonations that indicate the meanings as well. So you get an idea of this, all the revelation, all of that, and that's not the beginning of the revelation. So, so sort of you know, Al Fatiha is not the beginning of the revelation. You know that was given to the Prophet mm. so, Al Baqarah is probably you know. You know, is the last verse that was revealed according to you know most scholars, which is in Surah Al-Baqarah. Um, and so you're kind of getting the end of the revelation at the beginning of your experience in Ramadan. And we'll get the the first revelation at the end of our experience of Ramadan. It's almost like you know, playing something in reverse. So you're guessing what mm-hmm. happened, what how it unfolded, how it flourished. And how it finished, you know, discussions with the Jews and the Christians and the pagan Arabs, um, discussions about the story of, you know, the, all the prophets. And then you kind of, like a vortex, you're taken all the way back into the the, the very rhythmic, poet, you know, pseudo-poetic, powerful chapters that are at the end of the Qur'an, which are just laced, you know, impregnated with deep, deep, implied meaning obvious meaning hidden meaning um you know meanings that are only accessible if you understand the culture and the society within which it was revealed Imam Shatabi talks about this all the time that one of the one of the basis basic conditions of tafsir and commentary is to understand the time and the context within which the the Quran was revealed and the verse it was the, that was revealed what was the kind of discussion that was taking place at the time so he talks about you know you know, numerous verses in which if you don't understand the actual belief of the actual pagan Arabs at the time, you will not understand the purpose of the the, the verse itself. And you, in fact, you'll misunderstand it. And so the Surah Iqra is actually very, very similar. I mean, if you don't mm-hmm. understand the context within which this is taking place, this revelation, which from one aspect, think about it, it's the, it's the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his experience as a person who's living in the midst of a society that is, for him, to his sense, human, human sensibilities is something that is 
unnatural. He sees people being unjust and, and oppressive to other people. He sees, you know, young girls, you know, being buried by their own fathers because it was considered to be um, a, a, a type of shame to have too many female children. He's seeing traders coming to the city and being swindled out of money. He's seeing wars, civil tribal wars going on for generations and people killing people that they never knew they should be killing because of a, a you know a war, a tribal war that took place generations into the past. And at the at the head of it is people setting all their hopes and aspirations on the on the shoulders of idols that they themselves build themselves. So the Prophet is within this culture. And he is he has been chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the beginning of, of time in the terms of we know because it's part of Allah's knowledge that he will be the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he's being made to live, if you think about it. The Prophet has, has been born to Amina and and he is going through a whole process of early life, you know, being sent into the Badia, the the, the, the Bedouin Arabs taking care of him. Um, and then he's being you know, brought back into the city, into the care of his grandfather, into the care of his his uncle, and then living as a trader, and then you know, getting married and and breaking a lot of conventions on the way. But all of this, Allah has placed him in all these situations. He's placed him in the in in the backwaters of civilization, which is Arabia at the time. You know, Persian Empire, the Sassanids, and the Byzantine Roman Empire were the only real empires, and Arabia was like a backwater. He's placed in the backwater. He's placed in a situation where he's able to experience the best of human nature, which is our Arabs, chivalry and hospitality. But he's also seeing the other side of that coin, which is the, the superstitious nature of the mm -hmm. ways that societies work. And the, 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 the might is right rule, which is you know, the rule of a jungle, which is basically how societies generally work without laws and, and morality. So he sees this. And he goes into the state of deep contemplation in himself, you know. And that's very interesting if you think about it. A trader, a person who's buying, buying and selling, is not the type of person you'd expect to be in that situation. You expect a carpenter, um, a shepherd, whose profession is a shepherd. And the Prophet did did do shepherdry. He did Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did um, herd animals for a living early on in his life. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He made his first money out of that. The Prophet did, um, you know, do numerous professions, but his profession was a trader. Now, traders are not people that you would consider to be antisocial. They'd be social because they're moving and, and dealing with people. They have to know how to interact with people. This is very interesting in terms of the seal of Prophet They have to know how to communicate, how to persuade, how to seal the deal. You know, if you ever, mm -hmm. if you ever in a situation where you, you you're there and you have to seal the deal, the deal will be sealed based on your personality. Not on end, not the facts and figures. So mm. the person will look at the facts and figures. Those facts and figures, you're providing X, Y, and Z for a certain amount of, of money. There's somebody else that's providing also the same thing. The thing that will seal it is your personality and your ability to convince. And so the Prophet is a person who has this amazing um, capital of human interaction. He, he, he knows how societies work. But despite that, he's given to um, contemplation. He's given to seclusion. He's given to what in Arabic is called uzla, which is like this, the sense of, um, you know, going in, into yourself and just taking time away from people. A lot of people go for walks now, and the reason they go for that is just for their mental health. Mm. We call it a mental health. It's kind of a way of, you know, grounding themselves 
And we know nowadays, I mean, one of the things about walking in, in nature is that the soil itself has anti, anti a kind of, um, you know, the capacity to act in the same way that antidepressants act upon your, your physiology. And we know that through numerous studies now. Like if you do horticulture, you, you do gardening. And my father used to do this. He used to come back, you know, may Allah grant him Jannah. He used to come back from mosque meetings. And you know, mosque meetings are mosque meetings. Yeah. You know, heated and, and you know, and he's going to the garden and start digging. And sometimes you watch him, he's digging nothing. He's like just digging the, the soil. And my mom used to say to him, like, why are you just fighting with the soil? You could tell he's been back from the mosque because, you know, mm -hmm. mosques usually have that kind of environment where you lose your temper or something, unfortunately, nowadays. But anyway, the point is, the Prophet Ali was, despite being a person who's a people's person, you know, a person that had the ability to converse with people and convince them, he was given to Uzla. Uzla is to, to, to take a step back and to go into seclusion. And this is why, you know, in our civilization, you know, this chapter, inshallah, we'll kind of try and show how this chapter sets the scenes for Islamic civilization. I think, I'm thinking about lots of different ways that it does do that. The most important for me is the fact that it starts from um, the human being themselves, the individual human being, like you or me. So the way that we will build civilization is from you or me, individual people that we know of, not through an institution, not through... Uh, a state, not through your passport, not through your economic GDP, not through the fact that you're born in a specific locality, not based upon your genealogy. Be based upon you as an individual, your worth. And one of the things that Islam came with was it reasserted the human worth of every single human being. And this is known because at the time, if you were a slave, you were not provided with the kind of human volition and choice and sense of being that a person who's free was. If you're a female, you weren't given the same sense of responsibility and volition and choice as a male was. If you were under the age of puberty, you weren't given that either. You could go mm -hmm. through and tribes as well. The, the Quraysh were at the pinnacle of Arab tribes. So Many, you said civilization is built on individuals and not institutions. No, I'm saying Islamic civilization is going to change the way civilization is built and going to focus and say we have to build it based upon human beings, individual people that we know, rather than an army, a state army, um, a king or a Caesar or a you know a, a leader who is going to be like a, a, a god amongst people, like Pharaoh or the Sassanid um, you know, heads of state or the Byzantine anointed kings, you know, the role, the Holy Roman Empire, for example. They're above their, their their subjects, but with the Prophet Ali what's happening is if you're gonna because jumping from Iqra, okay, that word to Islamic civilization is a big jump. I'll mm. give you that. You know, jumping from mm. the Prophet so, is going okay. to be yeah, exactly. So Surah Surah Insan, right? Mm. Surah Insan. If you can remind me the first three ayahs. Um, that we have created you so that we can... Yeah, Surah Insan, Surah Insan, Surah Insan, Surah Insan, Surah So we are created so that we can be tested. The whole purpose of a creation is so that we can be tested, not other way around. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we're so not the given whole... the faculties. We are not given the faculties 
because we've been given the faculties that we have, we will be tested. No, it's, it's, it's actually a given that we will be tested. And hence, we are here for a test. Yeah, yeah I mean, so so the, so Imsan is, 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 a, is a step deeper, actually, in some ways to this discussion, because Iqra, I, I think it's 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 starting off with the main, it'll start off with the main um, differentials, the ways that Islam is essentially different from other revelations, different, and the way it will set the building blocks for civilization will be different from other civilizations. That's essentially what I'm saying. Mm. Other civilizations will build themselves upon, you know, even nice things like art, architecture, music, um, you know, you know, so artifacts like culture and civilization. But most civilizations are based upon power, based upon authority, based upon systems. And if you think of the, the, the British Empire, for example, the success of the British Empire mm -hmm. was not based on individuals. It wasn't even based upon the monarchy. It was based upon system. Mm -hmm. System, basically how the army was regimented, how orders were given and obeyed, how things were implemented. You know, you know, you know, Indian history, I mean, it's subcontinent history, they cut the, the fingertips of artisans so they could not produce um, cotton that could then, you know, compete with cotton that was produced elsewhere in the British Empire. They basically so, cut civilizations down based on systems. So think fair of that. To say that. So fair to say that Islamic civilization is based on my relationship with myself, mm -hmm. my relationship with God, mm -hmm. and my relationship with you, the other people around me. The other people, absolutely. Because if you, if you, if you start as a building block, you know, you know, Islam has never been, I know, you know, if you think about Islamic civilization, generally, if you think about like, if you want to travel to Spain, the way that Spain, and I think a lot of scholars have mentioned this, a lot of people, commentators have mentioned this, that if Spain wants to advertise its culture and its civilization, they will show the Alhambra. If India wants to do the same thing, it will mm. show, you know, the, the Taj Mahal, for example. Generally, Islam has Taj produced, Mahal. has produced beautiful things. But they're almost like the the kind of throwaways and the end product of you know very strong building blocks upon which civilization was built. So you know when the, at the moment that they built like Sultan Ahmed Mosque or the Mimar Sinan started to build these mm -hmm. amazing structures in Turkey or in, in in the Mughal Empire or in Muslim Spain, you know when the artisan is is hitting away at the stone, you know carving the intricate. A mihrab, or doing the calligraphy, or doing the Hebrew, or you know, doing the the, the what they call is um, the miniature, which is like the kind of intricate um, ornamentation of the Quran. That is nothing more than serving Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. They they see it as an outpouring of their relationship with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. That Allah is you know in Allah Jamilun Yuhibul Jamal. That Allah is the Prophet mm -hmm. said that Allah is beauty beauty and you know um beauty itself and loves things that are beautiful beautification and so if you think from that perspective even the things that we produced like the food that we produce you know we do it in, in a sense that if you're making something for iftar for example you're under the this kind of rule of the prophet ali salatu wasalam if you're doing it which is that inna allah yuhibbu min abdin idha amila amal an yutqinahu Allah loves from a person that if they want, if they're doing something, they do it perfectly. So, 
if you want God's love, and the reason you and you hit the nail on the head when you think Islamic civilization is built upon your understanding of your your self worth, basically, mm. and then you're connecting that self worth to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and then seeing how that relates to the other person. If you start with that, then if you yourself are healthy and balanced and filled with, you know, one thing, inshallah, if I don't forget, we'll kind of try and touch upon here is what's the purpose of believing in God? Part of it mm. is you have to embody the aspects of, of, of attributes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, such as justice and love and compassion and clemency, which are human traits that we, if we do, then everybody does. You know, imagine living in a society where you go to an official in the ministry and you know that they're they they are just and they are transparent and and they and they have this sense of clemency and justice. Mm. And think now and now think of it going to a country where a, a civil servant you know is has no sense of justice, no sense of clemency, no sense of 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 of, of helping the other person as a human being. Think of your social um, thinking. Think of the way that you will deal with that person, and think of what you will become as well as a human being. You will inevitably turn into a, a, a demagogue and a, and, a, and a villain as well, and so one, there's one thing that I think Iqra tells us because as we go through the chapter, it will tell us is the Prophet Ali wasalam, when he saw what he saw in Mecca al Mukarramah of the oppression and 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 unnatural processes and and the and imbalance that was there, he went into a state of seclusion, a state of reflection, a state of introspection for himself you know thinking about himself and his role in society as a human being as a father as a, as a as a husband as a trader he's thinking about all these things i said him if that amazing heart the prosim has and he's also then coming into connection with and, and and coming into collision course with his destiny which is like the earthquake is a, is a collision course of people's life and destiny in Turkey, I mean, people were were planning so many different things, and all of a sudden, this event happens, and you, you, you have come into unison with the decree of Allah, which is, which is powerful, and destructive, and the process at that point in his life is hit with this, um, this decree, which is the, the revelation will come to him inevitably, and and that whole process is the process of the process of you know being in a state of seclusion then. Coming into contact with otherworldly beings, the angels, and specifically the angel Jibreel, and then given this revelation, which is for him, you know, unfathomable. Initially, um, not I wouldn't say troubling because it's not the right word in in, in uh, we translated to Arabic or even English. I think it was something that unsettled um, his balance. I'm going to play this uh, five ayahs again. Uh, Surah Alaq, five ayahs is meaning, and inshallah we'll begin to kind of understand the, 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 the stream of meanings that we are trying to catch with these five ayahs. In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful. 
Recite in the name of your Lord who created. Created man from a clinging substance. Recite, and your Lord is the most generous. Who taught by the pen. Taught man that which he knew not. No, but indeed, man transgresses. So the first five ayahs. So Sheikh, any significance of this being the first ayah revealed? So any any and significance? What's well, the significance of this being the first first revelation? How, what do we understand, or from Mufassirin, or, or your reflection on it? Why this is the first ayah? Iqra. So you no, know, it's probably why is this the first um, word? Because you know, you know, there's probably I can imagine tons of people started there. Um, if if somebody wants to know what Islam is, I can imagine a lot of people would say, "Look, the first revelation was, and the first word was Iqra, which we translate as read." And so, in 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 and of itself, you can you can go you can do a whole show on that one word because why is it read? Why is it not obey? Why is it not worship? Because the end of this chapter is worship, is um, mm. subjugate yourself and sub, and and submit yourself in worship to God. It's got you know the end of it is actually fascinating as well because it's it's part of a, a you know end to a, a very confrontational situation with somebody who's denying revelation, and Allah is telling the Prophet don't obey that person, do not submit to that person's will. But rather prostrate, and you will come close. So you can translate it in so many different ways. So the end is what you would imagine. You know, Islam is what it's. Um, it's the Islam, which is to submit. So mm. this is how you know. You know when uh, Imam Abu Hanifa he 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 defined what Islam was and what fiqh was specifically, which is the kind of way that you act upon what Islam is. It's to know what your rights and responsibilities are basically and that means to God, to people, to individuals so basically you know where everything is and you do things basically rights and responsibilities means actions you know, I need to do X, Y and Z and the other person, I expect them to do you know, A, B and C but why does it start with Iqra is in and of itself I think in some ways self-evident because it is giving us an insight into the fact that Islam, as your personal responsibility, will be based upon revelation. So this is why I said, you know, revelation civilization is use an individual, you know, Zubair, Ridwan, mm-hmm. whoever is listening. Your first obligation will be to read. But read what? It's going to be revelation. It's going to be something that is not in your in your computer you know the, you think of your mind as a a database you know you're born you have some i mean they talk about this a lot in your in neuroscience they have you have kind of fetal memories that you have you have you can he, you can feel the effect of something you've experienced in in the fetus 
you know, as a fetus, you can experience certain things. You 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 internalize, like trauma, for example, is well known. Like cortisol, it's well known that that kind of remains within the system. And then you 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 you're born, and then you start to very soon you start to soak in all this information, all this experience, emotional intelligence. You start to look at the the faces that 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 confront you, which is your faces that are loved beloved to you and, and which love you and, and you love them a sense of security and then you start to build this idea of basic you know concepts such as trust love um need requesting and then communication you you get this idea that you can communicate with people you can smile you can cry and it, it has a response and then you go into adult age and you start to speak and then all of this is something that you start to register in the mind which is like it builds up a stock. Now, Iqra is telling you, look, there's something outside what you can gain through your senses, which is your hearing, your seeing, your feeling, your your sight. You know, we collect data, we process it, we make decisions based upon it. We make we make decisions based upon our budgeting, how we can live, how we can feed ourselves, how we can heat our house, all this. It's basically saying, look, there's something else which is outside. There's like a it's um, it's a it's a kind of you know in in, in cricket you have googly, which is like a kind of a ball you throw which no one, no one knows how to deal with. There's something in this mix which you have to take account of, which is the fact you're created by an entity who will want to allow you to know it, which is God, and that will fulfill and enrich your life. This is all that's being said in Iqra, which is. Read something outside your sense perception, something outside people have taught you, something outside what human beings can get directly through even contemplation, even through seclusion, even through meditation, even through scientific experimentation, even through research and development, even through computer projection, even through chat, was it GTP, whatever it is. You know, all these things produce information. But what is it that's given now is something completely outside your realm of experience which is revelation iqra and so aside from read it's the fact that you're getting something from outside your usual normal natural way of gaining information and that why is that important it's important because that there must be a purpose to that you know if god is communicating to a, to a human being there must be a purpose to that if you're now in Ramadan hearing the recitation of what was given to the Prophet there must be a purpose to that. If you are then taking that seriously, it must have an impact on you. But, but it's not just Iqra, it says in the name of your Lord. And then there's a condition who created. Yes, yeah, so then, then it becomes, it just you know spirals into numerous issues. That's why I'm saying, if you don't understand and this is why there's a very f famous book. It's, I think it's about ten or eleven, or I think eleven with the with the with the um, appendices. There was a book by um, a historian Jawad Ali, Iraqi, very famous scholar. Mm -hmm. He actually did his PhD in Hamburg, Hamburg University. And guess when? Which, which year? Nineteen thirty-nine on Arab history. So he was influenced by European, early German European Orientalists, which were very, very technically brilliant in researching history and and uh, and, and and looking at languages and, and 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 civilizational patterns and so on and so forth. 
he wrote this amazing book which is called Al Arab Qabl Al Islam. So basically, this is like mm-hmm. even to this day, I think it is the standard book, standard work on Arab history before Islam. And I think it was uh, uh, um, Abu Hassan Nadwi, rahimahullah, who actually mentioned in one of his um, works that you know you cannot understand what the Prophet ﷺ did with the revelation, Iqra being part of that, unless and the revolution that he brought and the change to human societies and civilization he brought, unless you understand the context within which Iqra was revealed and it was before Islam. So this word Iqra is like the sing you know you know you have this concept in the big bang of singularity i don't know if you know like at the point that everything started there was a small we don't even know what it is singularity that's what they call it which mm-hmm. is from where everything comes the big bang comes out of a starting point before which they know nothing about and that's another story but the point is everything comes out of that science understands everything coming out of um this singularity that then explodes 13 billion or so years ago into everything that we have now. The part of what we're doing now is part of that explosion, you know, a radio podcast. That event is the start of physical things. The start of Islamic civilization, the singularity, I would say, is actually Iqra. Or even more than that, it's like Hamza at the beginning. You know, the Hamza at the beginning is the start of every single thing that you can, is where you can think of as Islam, civilization or spirituality or law or experience comes from a moment when the Prophet Ali is in a cave, Ghari Hira, and he's given Iqra. That word is the singularity of prophetic revelation. And from that you get Alhambra, you get the Taj Mahal, you get all this art and civilization. From it you get Al-Ghazali, you get Al-Jawaini, you get Ibn Taymiyyah, you get all these great minds, you get Ibn Khaldun and you get all the things that you see in Muslim civilization to this point, the good, mm-hmm. the bad, and the ugly. But everything spawns in some way from that first point. Iqra. And, so, Iqra. and then before it is what? All this madness for us. Jahiliyyah. Jahiliyyah mm-hmm. essentially is this kind of... So, Sheikh, is this uh, at, at a simple level, is it, is it an understanding Iqra means explore? Read well, I mean, we will have to look observe, at yeah. We'll have to look at that because iqra essentially means to look at something and decipher it. So, hmm. essentially means to decipher is it critical, critical analysis. No, no, we can't, we can't make that jump yet. I mean, that's going no. to uh, critical analysis is something um different because what we're saying here is that. The word iqra itself, you have to always go in Arabic and tafsir, you have to go back to the word and its mm. essential root, which is to decipher signs. And so it's deciphering signs in, in common parlance at the time the Prophet was given the revelation, it was to decipher written things. And this is going mm. to be another fascinating thing because the Prophet, Ali Salat, as you know, is not a person that could read or write. You know, he mm. was mm. Nabi al Yes, this is the... This is, this is exactly it. So I think the last few moments of this podcast, I'm going to ask you, how do we understand Nabi Wasallam being an ummi? And yet he's asked to read Iqra. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim.
In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful. Recite in the name of your Lord who created. Created man from a clinging substance. Recite and your Lord is the most generous. Who taught by the pen. Taught man that which he knew not. So, Iqra, Bismillah, and Sheikh, just before the break, you said it is this revelation is on a, an unlettered person, Ummi. Mm. And there is always this kind of um, lack of understanding, maybe, or there is always this curiosity to understand how to understand Prophet Sallam's attribute being Ummi. Mm. How do yeah. you understand him, Allah being Ummi? And that that will I mean I'll I'll probably look into that because it leads a bit of detail because there is a is a there's I wouldn't say a controversy but there is a whole discussion in mm-hmm. Islamic history scholarly scholarly history um, between famously between uh, Al Baji the famous Maliki scholar who discussed this and his contemporaries who argued with him on this point because he he had the opinion that the Prophet Ali Wasallam towards the end of his life was able to decipher. To the point that we would say that he could at least read and recognize. And um, so he had the opinion that the name Ummi of the Prophet Ali was something that was reserved for him at the beginning of Revelation. So, but what's fascinating about this, fascinating about this chapter is that we know is and we know the Prophet is described in the Quran as in numerous places in Nabi al Ummi, the, 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 the Prophet who is unlettered. Ummi in Arabic, just you know, because that other topic's a bit deep and it needs a bit more time. But Ummi literally means to 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 you come out the mother's womb without the ability to decipher signs. Because remember, you have to teach children how to read. Like mm-hmm. you have to tell them that this is this letter is a ba, and then the phonetic system is different from the other ways of teaching. And then in English, you have the godforsaken task of trying to tell kids how different vowels make different sounds you know i'm teaching my son english how to read english so i got frustrated i didn't realize english was such a, a godforsaken language in terms of phonetics because everything is just no rules and i got angry with english because i learned just through natural process of just reading and coming just being able to speak and things mm-hmm. but to, to read you have to you realize that you have to learn how to decipher but when you're mm-hmm. born you're, you're not you know you're not born with that capacity so Ummi is like this word that comes from the fact that naturally human beings are unlettered. They have to learn. Mm. Civilization is built upon, you know, cumulative knowledge. You, somebody creates an alphabet and then they te- they, it's accepted and then people teach it and then they start writing it and then legal documents are written in that language and then people accept it and then people build upon it and civilizations are built. And then everything spawns out of that and then you have everything we have in front of us. All technology is based upon um, binary um, code and all the rest of it. It's all based upon some way reading and writing and, an, and analyzing. And the Prophet is called it the Nabi al Ummi. Some scholars say al Ummi here relates to the fact that he was from the, the, the Umm al Qura, that he was from Mecca al Mukarram itself, because 
by being from that city, mm. he was considered to be Al-Ummi, you know, Meccan. Okay. And so there's different ways that you can look at um, the Prophet Ali being Al-Ummi. Also in terms of the Prophet being a person that encompassed everybody. He was like the Um, which is like a, the motherly figure is the one that, you know, takes in everybody despite their frailties and their shortcomings, forgives rather than the fatherly figure, which is a bit more judgmental and and pensive and, and distant and cold sometimes. So the mm-hmm. Prophet but, has... But, but this conclusion that because this is a revelation, it had to be on a person who actually could not read or write. Mm-hmm. And hence, he was, this is God's word. Is this uh, a hujjah? Is this um, uh, an argument that because Prophet was on me, it mm-hmm. also proves that this word is God's word. It's not his own. Yeah, I mean that's a different. That's, that's that's actually the a dis- different thing from Iqra because the Iqra provides the opposite um, problem, which is he's he's being told to read, which means mm. to decipher signs when there's nothing for him to read. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I say to you, "Is where can you read this?" I'm not asking you to, you know, think of something and, and recite it. If I read some, if I say something to you and I say repeat it, I'm not going to say read it. I'm going to say repeat it or say this. Mm-hmm. So why didn't it say قُلْ? So why was the first revelation of قُلْ? You know, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ قُلْ يَا أَيُّهُ الْكَافِرُونَ قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ You know, قُلْ is the, is the go-to use of command for the Prophet ﷺ after Iqra. After Iqra comes, that's it. It's not going to come again. You know, the, the, what's fascinating is the call for the Prophet to, to speak or to say something or to give revelation starts with Iqra, not with Qul. We would expect it to be Qul because he can't read and write. So mm-hmm. the revelation should have been the, should have been like this. The Prophet is going through a life-changing experience in Mecca. He it goes into seclusion. He is met by the angel Jibra'il. The angel comes to him and says, Qul. And it would just be a revelation and it would just be stuck within the revelations that were given to the Prophet as one of the Qul. But it doesn't. It comes with Iqra to a person who cannot read and write. But to ask somebody who cannot read and write to read, it seems to be disingenuous because you should say, say, Qul. So if you think about it, Hmm. there's something very deep happening here which is some narrations, Imam Suyuti mentions this, some narrations mean that mention that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was asked to read, he was brought uh, a book in brocade and embellished that he was asked to read from. So there's this whole sense that there has to be something, you know, in, 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 in languages, iqra, like read is a transitive verb. Basically, it means that Muta'addi in Arabic, Muta'addi means you have to read something. Hmm. So when I said to you, read Zubair, you say, okay, what? You're looking around, you're thinking, oh, I better get something to read. Or read the thing that's in front of you, the paper or something. It does not make any sense unless you have something to read. And so mm-hmm. you're, you're, you come up with this um, this sense of, and this is actually, um, you know, it's such a deep thing because the Quran is going to start to tell you that you cannot assess the Quran in the way that you assess other books. Like the way we assess and we understand and we make sense of things, 
don't try and do it with the Quran in that way. You need to get into the groove of the Quran to understand the way that the Quranic rhetoric, language, and and poetic force, <coughs> you know, if you want to use that word, is going to imp, imp, impinge and change the way you think about God's speech, God's revelation, God's guidance to people. You need to put everything aside. Iqra to a person who can't read and write, as the first revelation doesn't make any sense. But the thing that's interesting is that God is the one that will teach because it's giving him something impossible to do. And so this whole, the first five verses actually, when we come to them, what you will see is that it will start to give you a way that the impossible can become, I wouldn't say the impossible, it would, it would think that you cannot imagine, imagine will become possible. Something that you, you think you cannot get out of. Imagine your life, you're in, you're in a situation where you don't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know they say light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You cannot see that. And the Prophet is in that situation in, in meditation. And he's being told to read. And his heart will say and his mind will say, how can I read? And mm -hmm. obviously we haven't even talked about how that, you know, I just forgot to mention actually the whole thing of the angel Jibra'il and the Prophet We'll talk about it in the next session. But the thing is, he will say, look, I cannot read. Like the whole point is, look, forget what do I read? Forget, okay, where is it? Forget who are you? He's just saying, I can't read. I, I can't read. Look, it's, it's not pretty obvious if you ask somebody to do something and they're not able to. If I speak to Zubair, you speak fluent um, Turkish, you know, recite me a poem from um, Yunus Emre, for example, Yunus or Yunus Nejib Emre Fazil Central. or somebody, you know, give me, in the same way that you rule off Iqbal, can you recite some? You know, share from you know Najib Fazil or you know, please you you say I can't. What, what will you say? I can't read. I can't. You know, how dare you ask me? And the whole thing will be here. It is, it is, it's a fascinating thing that people always think that you know we can do things ourselves. Sometimes we need something else external. Like so we need something, a push from outside that just moves us towards what we're doing. And Iqra from that personal level, the Prophet Asim, is breaking his understanding of, you know, how the balance in life should be. Like, if he's thinking, Sallallahu that just by meditating, I will get to some kind of closure, understanding of the world, that's not going to happen. Unless telling him that revelation is the way that we will take you from being a person praised in your community to being a person that we praise in the heavens. You know, like... He will be Al-Mustafa. He's chosen. Like Ibn Mas'ud says that Allah looked upon the hearts of, you know, in Allah Nadraf that he looked upon the hearts of human beings. He did not see a heart more pure and, 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 and clear as the heart of the Prophet. And he chose him for himself. And he sent him his revelation. That is a personal experience for the Prophet. And so for me, I think it's it's just one of these things that Iqra. It's from one aspect a very personal story of the Prophet. And from another aspect, it's a very universal story of every single Muslim being in human civilization who identifies as a follower of Islam. That this is now one of the things that will mark every single decision that they make when they wake up, you know, when they go to sleep, everything. End of reflections. Uh, um, the first of uh, this year with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. And inshallah, we'll be back. I'll leave you with uh, this beautiful uh, recitation of this surah, Surah Alaq, which inshallah we'll be discussing with Sheikh Rizwan throughout this month. 
from Wednesday to Sunday every week. Until tomorrow, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful. Iqra' bismi rabbikal Recite in the name of your Lord who created. Created man from a clinging substance. Recite and your Lord is the most generous. Who taught by the pen. Taught man that which he knew not. No, but indeed man transgresses. Because he sees himself self-sufficient. Indeed, to your Lord is the return. Have you seen the one who forbids? A servant when he prays. Have you seen if he is upon guidance? Or enjoins righteousness? Have you seen if he denies and turns away? Does he not know that Allah sees? No, if he does not desist, we will surely drag him by the forelock. A lying, sinning forelock. Then let him call his associates. We will call the angels of hell. No, do not obey him, but prostrate and draw near to Allah.